We're doing a series called Meeting God in the Old Testament. And uh, this is our second one of those messages. And I'm trying to think as we meet God in the Old Testament, what are we learning about him that can help us in our life? So last week I said, imagine you've got a chair. Here it is. Uh, It's plonked down there and you get to ask God a question. Last week, the question we asked was, what's the good life look like? Do you remember that? What's the good life look like? This week, we're going to ask, hey God, what's it all about? What, what are we here for? What's our purpose? What's, what's our life all about? Not just a good life, but what's it for? What's the purpose that you have for it? So what is this life all about? I think for most of us, the answer will come is, is that it depends on your story. When I say that, it's not just your personal story, but the story that you use to make sense of the world around you. What's the story that explains the world you see around you? That story will drive very seriously a whole lot of other parts of your life. Essentially, it's called a worldview. Your worldview will shape, shape your beliefs, your beliefs will shape your behaviour, and your behaviour will shape the culture that you create in your families and in your homes. At the heart of that is a worldview, what you believe about the world around you. So let's have a look at our, our options. I think there are all sorts of different worldviews that we can have, but if we put up a continuum here, a continuum that says there's no God in the picture, up that end, and up the other end over here, a God, let's have a look at what positions we could have that would explain our story. Well, some of us have a third position, don't we? I actually think there's a lot of people uh, in the not sure category. So uh, if we give them formal names, the no God end is called atheism. That's no surprise. We've heard that before. Uh, At the a God end is theism, the belief that there's a God. And in in between, a thing called agnosticism. This is the one where we go, I don't know. And it's wonderful that I don't know has a name, isn't it? So I don't know, I'm not really sure, I figure there there might be a God, but I can't prove it conclusively one way or the other. That's called being agnostic. I want to add two more to it, uh, just because these I think are pretty helpful. Uh, This one here is called apatheism. I really like this one. I think this actually explains a lot of the way our world works. Apatheism is, I'm not really sure I care about God. On the balance of evidence, I don't think God cares about me. Because he doesn't care about me, I won't care about him. And if he doesn't care about me, I'll do whatever I want. Apatheism. In the end, it's, it's basically a practical atheism. Okay? You're pretending like there's no God. You're not really sure, but you don't care about the whole category. Apatheism. I think it's really, really helpful. I think it explains a lot of what we see around us. There's another one that kind of was a bit more um, prominent a little while ago called relativism. Relativism says there isn't any particular truth. Okay? There are only truths, whatever you think is right. Okay? So in the end, uh, there's some Muslim people in the world and they believe this. Well, that's good for them. Have you heard this? That's good for them. And then there are some, uh, some people who are, are Buddhists, and that's good for them. And in fact, we'll just let everybody run their life their own way. Don't meddle in anyone's problems. Relativism says there's no absolute truth. There are many truths. Everyone just go and get about your life. Now, I think apathyism, 
and relativism do a pretty good job of explaining most of our world, don't they? Uh, not, not too many people end up on the atheism end, but I'm sure you know who they are on Facebook. Uh, on the theism end, uh, we're a little bit more specific generally than that. The interesting thing, I believe, about atheism, apathyism, agnosticism and relativism is this. In the end, the outcome is do what you like. If there's no God, guess what? Do what you like. If you're agnostic, you're not sure if there's a God, well, you can't know what he wants for you, so do what you like. If it's all relative, it's up to me to define my own truth, then do what you like. And if God's apathetic towards me, then guess what? Do what you like. Here's why I think all of these positions are well held by our world, because what, what does our world want to do? Whatever it likes. Make sense? Now, we're not like that here. We have a different story. We're people who live up this end, and we believe that there is the God who is behind the whole universe. And so we don't have just a theistic belief, a belief that there's a God. We actually say that we know God. That's a pretty audacious claim, isn't it? We know God and that there is one God and one truth behind the whole of the universe, and that is called Christian theism. Now, what's the story then for our lives? What's the story that should drive our lives? Well, I want to say this morning, if there is one God behind it all, then what should we do? Well, I think we should ask the author, shouldn't we? If there's one story behind everything, then we should ask the author. And what's his story? Well, his story is found in here. Now, it, it's worth saying we're in church today, so so no one's going boo and, and blowing raspberries at me or anything. But this is a pretty radical claim, isn't it? I'm saying there's one God and, and we can know what his story is by opening this book that's hopefully on a chair, if you don't have one in your hands, was next to you when you sat down. That in this book is the account of how life should be on what the true purpose of life is. And so this book, this account of the world, is actually divided up into two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and I've been saying that these pictures will organise how we understand the Old Testament and the New. So let me just zoom in a little and, and refresh you on the big picture, the story that we're, we're learning. It goes from creation all the way down to new creation at the end of the New Testament. So let's zoom in a little. Last week we saw that God created the world, a perfect world, and created men and women to be in right relationship with him and with the world that they were overseeing. God creates a beautiful picture of life without sin, sickness, death, and disease. Beautiful. But from chapter 3 of this massive book, here's what happens. Sin stains everything. So from Genesis chapter 3, this tiny slither right at the start here, the whole rest of the book is about winning us back to this incredible picture that we started with of men and women in right relationship. The path back from sin and curse is through this story that we're going to have a look at today. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12 and we're going to have a look at the God who makes promises. The God who makes promises. So that's where we're going to be today. And uh, I would like us to meet, uh, to meet Abraham. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can open them up. I think it was page 11. 
Uh, if you don't have one, I'm sure there'll be one in a seat nearby to grab, uh, so that'd be really good. Now, last week, I, uh, I gave you a picture, this picture was up there, and said, the world tells us the, the good life is found by relaxing and retiring. Well, it's worth knowing that the guy we meet is probably somewhere in that demographic. Have a look at chapter 11 of Genesis, and I'll read verses uh, 30 to 31. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah, that's his father, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived there 205 years, and he died in Haran. Uh, if you have a look down at chapter 12 and verse 4, we see in the second sentence there, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Uh, is there anyone here today who's over 75 years of age and would like to admit it? I see those hands. Thank you, Cheslon. Uh, love you guys. So glad that you're here. Abraham is sitting in this part of the church. Okay? Is anyone actually 75? Spot on the knocker? No, but you're over. Okay, well, that's good. Doing well, keep going, would be my encouragement. Uh, Abraham's sitting in this, in this part of our church. I think it's really important that we don't get that Abram is a 20-year-old sprightly young thing, okay? which is not to say that our Chesalonians aren't energetic, because they definitely are. They're the most active people I've ever met. I used to think retirement was about relaxing. I've, since I met these guys, I know it's about running as hard as you can and looking after grandkids and all sorts of stuff. But here he is, he's 75 years old, and he's settled down, and he's rich and wealthy, and that's not really a place where lots of change generally happens in your life. Uh, does anyone here like moving house? Uh, would anyone say it's in their top list of despised things? I, 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 I really don't like it. Kara uh, and I have done it how many times, Kara? Yeah. Ten? Yeah, I think it's some, something like ten times we've moved house since we got married. Uh, that's a lot of times. And, and before that, I probably moved house, I think, six times with my family before that. So when it comes to moving house, I just don't like it. I don't like packing everything up. I don't, have to, I don't like having to look at everything I own. Have you noticed this when you pack up? You mean I own this much stuff? I say to Kara every time we do it, burn half of it. I don't even want to know what's in the box. Just get rid of it. I, I, I'm sure I won't miss it. So here's the thing. Have a listen. Have a listen to what happens to the 75-year-old man in Genesis at chapter 12. Let, let's look together. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. I think that's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. It's extraordinary for a number of reasons. 
it's very important for us to see at this very early stage of the Bible that God is intervening in history. He's stepping down and saying, I want to help this world get on a track to new creation. How will that happen? I will choose one man. And when he has the whole of the earth at his disposal, God chooses Abram, a man who's 75 years old, who's living outside of the land that he was going to promise. Surely God could have gone into the land, couldn't he? And just gone, that one. You won't have to go anywhere, but you're my promised person and your family. And Do you get how amazing this is? God chooses one man, an old man, probably in middle age, because his father was 205, so he's probably getting into middle age. So maybe if there are any 40-year-olds in the building, we're thinking a bit more like it. But uh, he says, I'll choose this man, and I'm going to make extraordinary promises to him that will last from this day all the way through the arc of the Bible until they find their fulfillment at the end on the very last pages. This promise literally is behind the order in the whole universe and God says it to one man in one place. It's extraordinary. Uh, So the first thing for us to note is what Abram is asked to do. Uh, Incidentally, have you noticed that it says Abram and you keep on thinking I'm misspeaking because you want it to say Abraham, don't you? Has anyone noticed this? Abraham is the name he gets a bit later in chapter 17. Uh, God's name is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And when he makes another covenant with Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you an H from my name and put it in your name. You're going to become Abraham. You're going to have part of my name in your name. And do you remember it said Sarai? And you're like going, is that some weird thing? Isn't it Abraham and Sarah? Guess what she gets? She gets an H in her name from God's name. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Abraham and Sarah. At this point, he's called Abram. God says to Abram, what's he have to do? Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Leave everything that defines you. Has anyone moved country before? Thank you. I see lots of beautiful hands up the back there. Okay, hand out, yeah. What's it like to leave your country? Well, it's part of your identity. Leave your country. Leave the thing that is home for you. Leave that behind. Everything when you get to somewhere new is weird. Why do they do that? Why do they speak like that? Why are their customs like this? Leave your country. Then it says, leave your people. What's the very first thing you do when you get to a new country? Well, you try and find your people, don't you? Where's the, where, where's, the, where's the place where our people hang out, where I can speak my language? And what God is saying to him, you will leave your people. And then he says one more thing, you will leave what? Your father's household. What he's essentially saying to Abram is, drop your surname. Lose your country of origin. Lose your people. Lose your surname and come to a land that I will show you. Do you think that sounds costly? All of your present identity, I want you to forsake. Leave and believe. Leave that and believe what I will show you. Notice what God will give him. He says, I'll give you a great name. Leave your father's household. I'll give you a great name. Yeah. He says, leave your people. He says, I will make you a great nation. 
He says, leave the land. And he says, I will show you a land that will be your possession. Can you see how God says, forsake everything and I will by faith give to you everything that you've just lost. Isn't that extraordinary? Leave and believe. Abram is to be blessed. Notice what it says here. Uh, I'll make you into a great nation, it says in verse 2. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and ever curses you, I will curse. So Abram could have said, hey, I can't wait to be blessed. I'll open up my buckets and you can just pour your goodness in, God. But God says, no, it's not just for you. You are blessed to be a blessing. The world is going to be impacted for good through you. The blessing isn't just for you. It must pass through you into the world around you. Gee, these are good words for us, aren't they? That if we're recipients of God's blessing, we are not blessed just for us, but blessed to be a blessing. Name and nations. He will lose his name, but he will gain a great name that God will give him. I think this is absolutely amazing. God says, leave it all and I will make you famous, essentially. I will lift you up. It's worth noting God intervenes in human history to bring about his plan, and the way he does it is by a promise. See, I think at times we have too, too small a view of God, a tiny little God. But sometimes we have such a, a small view of God, it stops us thinking about what he could have done. So, so God could have said, uh, I need a nation and my name to be great. All right, I'm going to beam down from heaven six million humans. Could he have done that? Shimmy could have. But he doesn't do that. He takes one man and he says, you are the seed of a blessing that will grow from here. I think that's extraordinary. God has intervened in human history and he's done it by promise. It's stuff that's yet to come. It's worth noting it has nothing to do with what Abram or Abraham did. So it wasn't like God looked at him and said, Abraham, you're the best man alive. I've chosen you because... Of, uh, of all the people, you are the, are the best. It's actually just God graciously choosing. I choose this man from Ur of the Chaldeans who seems to have a pretty good job of running a flock. You can be my chosen man for my plan for the whole of the human race. What does that tell us? It's totally by grace, by God's goodness. Well, that's our first thing. It's all about promises. What's the problem with promises? Sorry? Yeah, we break them. The, the other thing is, uh, the other prob- problem with promises is, they might take some time. What happens when I'm waiting? I promise I'll be back. Incidentally, it's one of my little side things here. I've noticed TV shows and movies all the time. I find parents, friends, brothers, whatever, make unreasonable promises, and that kind of energises the movie. Keep your eye out, out for people making unreasonable promises. In movies, it just happens all the time. Once you look for it, it's always there. But what it means is you're waiting. What's it like to wait for a promise? Well, it's hard, particularly if it's as great a promise as what Abram uh, received. So we see this hardness. Let's flip over to chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses uh, 1 to 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham uh, to Abram in a vision. 
So it's been uh, at least two chapters, a long time. (laughs) Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. So at that point, we'd probably go, wow, I just heard from God. That's fantastic. I'm going to run off and tell my life group or something like that. I love how bold the patriarchs are. Have a look at verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Do you see what he's saying? God, I've been waiting, and so far the result of your promise is nothing. Donuts. I have no child. I have no nation. I have no name. How can this great promise be coming about? Have a look with me at what happens in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said to him, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Did you see it again? Have a look up at the screen. I love it. Here's here's Abram. He's looking at, he's talking with God. And God says, I have something for you. Step outside. Step outside and look up at the stars of the sky. Look at the stars of the sky. He says, so shall your offspring be. And you know what? They had a little bit less light pollution than we have. You know, you could walk outside your door right now, right? And have a look up at the stars in the sky and go, all right, God, so I'm going to have three children. I think I can see three stars up there. Yeah. If you're living out in the desert in, uh, in uh, you know, Bronze Age times, right? And you look up at the sky, I'm going to guess you would see a staggering array. And so God says to him, so shall your offspring be. So what do we see here? It's all about faith. It's all about faith. God has promised and he wants us to respond in faith. We've seen that waiting is hard. But I want you to see, he wants, God wants faith from us that is not blind faith, but by sight. Let me explain what I mean. God could have said to him, Abram, you just need to suck it up for another couple of years and everything's going to be great. Just persist some more, a year of little faith. Couldn't he? But he said, I see you're struggling. I want to take you outside. I want to give you an even greater promise than the one you've heard before. Look up and see. Can you see that's by sight? He's actually meeting his doubt and saying, I will give you something more. I will ground your faith in something trustworthy. I will show you. I will reiterate my promise to you. Look and see the blessing that's before you. Thirdly, I want you to see this end bit. Did did you remember the bit from the reading about the smoking fire plot and the the cut up pieces of animals? I'm sure you're sitting there going, what is going on here? So what God did was he said to Abraham, get these animals and cut them in half and set their halves up like this, except for the birds. We're not quite sure why that is. It might have been that cutting a bird in half was a bit too messy. I don't know. At any rate, Half a cow, half a cow, half, half, okay? And the idea is that if you were to make a covenant, you would walk through the halves of the pieces saying, if one of us breaks this covenant, may we become like these pieces. Okay? May we be torn in half. 
May we be ripped shreds. So we'll walk through together and we'll say this is a binding covenant. This is a binding promise, right? And so what appears? Well, Abram gets knocked out, doesn't he? He, he falls into a deep, a deep sleep. And then something appears. What appears? It says a flaming fire pot. Why does a flaming fire pot represent God? Well, later on we'll see that God appears as a burning bush, remember? And in Exodus, on top of the mountain, we'll see that God appears in fire. And then we'll see when he leads his people through the desert, he appears as a pillar of fire. And on Pentecost, what happens? Tongues of fire come down and rest on the heads. So here's this symbol, this flaming fire pot appears. What's Abraham contributing to the, uh, the covenant-making ceremony? Nothing. He's asleep. Who goes through the pieces? The flaming fire pot of God's presence. Isn't this extraordinary? So here's the thing. It's quite amazing. God sees Abraham's faith. He says, I believe, and God says he counts it as righteousness. And then this extraordinary other part, God alone makes this covenant. He walks through the pieces. He makes the covenant. He says, I will bear the weight of keeping my word. It's not even, you're not even obligated, Abraham. It's by grace. It's all about promises. It's all about faith. In the end, it's all about Jesus. Have a look with me. We're going to flip all the way through the Bible up to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 is in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, and we look at verses 26 uh, to 29. If you find the page number, why don't you call it out? That would be really helpful. One one six nine. Thank you so much. Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 26 to 29. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Something amazing is happening in Jesus. In Jesus, the divisions that used to divide us up are now cast aside. By faith in him, there's a new people being formed a new group of people being formed who don't look to Jew and Gentile, who don't look to slave and free, one nation under God. That's an American reference there. Uh, it's, uh, it's all about Jesus. Jesus makes the name great. See, in the end, why do we know Abraham's promise in a Christian church today? Well, because that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Because otherwise it would be just a Jewish promise, wouldn't it? This is really important to note. Jesus makes Abraham's name great today because he's the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. And so the two billion Christians around the world should know who Abraham is because he's the ancestor of Jesus. Jesus forms the nation. He's the one who brings Jew and Gentile together, slave and free, people from Scotland, people from India, yeah, people from Australia. He brings them together and makes them one new nation by faith. 
So the name of Abraham is indeed honoured and made great. There is a great nation by Jesus. Jesus is the blessing. We find the good life by finding faith and hope in Jesus. The blessing to the whole world is made available because our sins can be forgiven in Jesus. There's a great bit in Hebrews that says, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus, including those to Abraham. And it's, it's worth noting, Jesus saves us by grace, by faith. We trust God like Abraham did, and we're saved by faith just as Abraham was. Jesus saves us by faith, and it's all by grace. Well, that's our big story. If we were to say, what's it all about? What's our life all about? It's being part of the story. In fact, I like this. It's being part of his story. History. Nice. The history of this world is actually written to God's purpose. It's not a make-believe grab bag. You could believe this, you could believe this. No, God in history spoke to Abraham and made promises to him. Jesus in history died to fulfill them. You and I are sitting here part of one grand plan that God is unfolding. So let's get practical. What does it mean for us if we live our life under this story? We might say, how do we engage with other people? Let's think about it through the promise of offspring. Uh, in Galatians, just a little bit earlier, just flip back a, a little bit further to uh, verses 6 to 9, we read this. So Abraham, be Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is brilliant. The fulfillment of Abraham's promise is found in us if we believe by faith. What's the first practical thing? Well, we need to believe, don't we? We need to be children of Abraham. He believed and whether we're from India, Scotland, Australia, China, Hong Kong, wherever we're from, we will be children of Abraham if we believe. It's brilliant. What about the blessing? Well, in Matthew 28, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is so important. How will the blessing of Abraham get to every nation? You remember he said, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How will that happen? Through us making disciples. We can join in this brilliant story that God is writing in this world by giving the message of new life to others. We have a saying at New Life, we're about hope, community and a fresh start. Those last two are created by these promises. Community is formed by the promise to Abraham. Do you see this? I'll make a new nation. Our community is formed by that. Our fresh start, the blessing of finding forgiveness from Jesus, comes from Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. Community and a fresh start, what we're all about, come from Abraham through Jesus. 
there's one more, more word up there, hope. Where am I going, I think is a very practical question. Where am I going? Where is this life headed? I want to read you this bit from Hebrews chapter 11. Do you remember that uh, Abraham was promised a, a great land? And for some of us, we might think, so we're all going to end up in Israel. Yep. If so, you and I are a little bit late to the party and we're a little bit far away, aren't we? Here's what the Bible says about our true destination. Not a plot of land in Israel. Have a listen. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How good's that, by the way? By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. You see, Abraham never possessed the land. His descendants would, but he didn't. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Where was Abraham's true home? In the end, it wasn't the promised land. It was to live with God forever. His true home is our true home. Where's our true home? Heaven. Our true home is heaven. And how did he live? As a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, knowing where his true home was. You want to know how to apply this? We need to live like people who are strangers in a strange land, looking forward to our true home. We need to live new life for Jesus, knowing that our true home is yet to come. Our hope is in the true home, the true inheritance that still awaits us. So today, what have we got to do? We've got to be people who believe. We've got to be people who share the message of new life that we found in Jesus. And we've got to be people who hope for our new home is still before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who intervened in human history. I thank you that you made incredible promises to the man Abraham. I thank you that you pledged to keep them, that you remain faithful, and that in Jesus you fulfilled them. Father, may we be people whose lives are defined by this story, that we might not be distracted by the stories of this world, and that we might moor our hope, our community, and the hope of a fresh start deep in you, and that we might share it with our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.